0: Proverbs 31, uh, I mentioned that King Lemuel is King Solomon. um, And he said, I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. Uh, And I I should have pointed out that that's a rabbinic tradition uh, by uh, Orthodox rabbis, as well as the Masoretes, uh, claimed that Lemuel is, in fact, Solomon. There are reasons for that. But I should have been uh, clearer about that. So I do uh, apologize if you went and did some research of your own and couldn't find that um, So I do uh, I do apologize about that. We do have to be mindful about the things that we are teaching uh, The other thing that I, I wanted to talk about is that I, I appreciate uh, the, the comments and the questions that we have uh, been dealing with in class. Uh, I was having this conversation with Dennis, I know it wasn't just Dennis uh, but uh, he and I kind of had the longest uh, conversation about it uh, with the idea of the Old Testament is sometimes a whole lot harder for us to draw lessons out of than the New Testament. The New Testament is speaking to an audience, it's a direct uh, speaking. I would say speaking to us, which it is to some degree, but uh, as if you've ever heard, the Bible is reading someone else's mail. Um, so it's, it's not to us, but we can take lesson from it. However, the Old Testament is narration. It's, it's not conversation, it's narration. And so narration uh, takes a lot more effort to pull uh, morals and, and meaning out of. And so I appreciate uh, how we have been going about doing that uh, and the, the comments that I've been getting in class. I appreciate that. Let's, let's keep it up here. So 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to talk about the widow of Zarephath. Something I wanted to point out is that widows, we were talking about women and the lessons that often come uh, through women in general. Widows are also a, a, a point where many of our lessons come from, and the majority of them have to do with selflessness and sacrifice. And there is a cultural reason for that. Uh, when a woman has lost her husband and or all the men in her family, a.k.a. Naomi, uh, that often they are seen as sort of social pariahs. They are sacrifices. They have sacrificed. Um, and so there is a sort of... Uh, leprous reaction from people, keep them over there, while at the same time people looking at them reverentially. Um, And so it's this really odd balance of how the Israelites would view widows at this time. Um, But, true to God's form, God is going to use those that are not often considered to bring about his lessons. So, of course, uh, widows are going to bring about many of God's lessons. And the widow of Zarephath is no, uh, is no different. All right. Uh, when we start 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, we have an idea here that Elijah has prophesied that there would be a drought for the next three years. And the only way that rain would return is by Elijah's own prophecy. Um, And part of this is Elijah deals so often with the the prophets, the non-Yahweh prophets all the time. And since he is so often going and talking to Ahab or Jezebel, that this idea of God is the one true God is something that is always on Elijah's mind. And a lesson that God is always trying to teach through Elijah. And this one is no different. It's very easy to think, well, yeah, God has stopped the rain, but our gods, whether it be Baal or, or someone else, our, the gods of this land will bring their own rain. No, they won't, because even if those beings exist, they are not God, and they do not have the power that God has. But God also says, you're going to go over here, I will sustain you. There is a brook, there is a source of water that Elijah can drink from, of course, given to him by God. Um, It doesn't say it's there miraculously, but it is given by God. Let's not forget that. So he follows what God says, there are these ravens that provide for him they bring him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening and he would drink from the brook and this brook that God gives him dries up in verse 7 it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land so even though God had told him where this brook is and was providing him God is even going to take this away and just like everything else God gives and God takes away And whenever God does something like taking away, it's always for a purpose. And it's always not just for a purpose, but for the bettering of, especially the person in question, which would be Elijah. So he says, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So God has dried up this brook and tells him, I have someone who will provide for you. It's interesting how often God has a sense of timeliness. There's always a time for which it makes sense for things to be done. And Elijah is going to come at a very opportune time. Uh, Again, because God is so good at that. So the first question... Where is Zarephath? Where did it tell us? It's in Sidon, so it belongs to Sidon. Uh, Tyre and Sidon are sister cities, very close to each other, sort of in the northwest corner of the Israelite territory, um, a little bit above, you know, kind of the line that Dan and Naphtali, the tribes of Dan and Naphtali run. Uh, And this is also where uh, there are... uh, there's great produce here, meaning cedar. Um, and what we, we see that there's often some, uh, some communication between Israel and Tyre and Sidon. But the, but the point that I want you to understand is Sidon is not Israel. So it's interesting that God has struck Israel with this drought... And yet he tells Elijah, you're going to go outside of Israel. He's trying to teach Israel a lesson, but he says that he's going to send him outside of Israel to help. And we also have to understand that when God God has to think about this, the scope that God has is incredible. I think we as God would say, I want to punish Israel so I'm going to have a drought there in Israel, and then all of a sudden... Oh, yeah, I forgot. There are other areas that are going to be affected. And Sidon, Zarephath, is no different. But why Why might this be of particular importance um, outside of maybe what we just said? Are there any other ideas that we have? Why is this important he's going to Zarephath? No wrong answers. Huh? Okay, so the widow's there. So not only does God tell him, "I have a widow that's going to help you," God also knows that He's going to help the widow, right? So He's bringing the two together. Excellent point. What else? Um, maybe. What? What? Uh, let's uh, let's unwrap that a little bit more. What do you mean? Okay, so there there are sources of water that are going through Sidon. So this area is also being affected. Maybe helping Elijah understand it's not just Israel that is being affected by this. What else? Yes, sir. He's still not taking him away from the famine. He's still
1: going to be facing the famine, but it's going
0: to show about the strength. Okay, so he he's, hasn't taken him away from the overall issue. He's just removing him from Israel, at least momentarily. Okay. Yes.
1: Most of the prophets seem to function on a very transient nature. Anyway, it's never been in their nature stay in one place
0: for very long. That's how the God person. Okay, it's time to move on in this chapter. Okay, so this is very common for prophets, uh, and and so yes, this I love that word, transitory. The transitory nature of prophets, and as Sean and I were talking about, sometimes preaching, uh, this transitory nature has a, a great impact on everyone, whether it be the prophet or the people that they're going to, but this is very important for the prophet to have this transitory nature. Yes, sir? Oh. Huh. Interesting. God is helping a non-Israelite. From what we understand, we're not told anything else about this woman. It just calls her a widow living in Zarephath. Now, she talks about God as though she knows him, but that doesn't help us any further. As the Lord your God, it didn't say
1: my God, your
0: God. Okay, now, to be fair, that is actually an affectation of speech among Israel. So, for instance, Saul often thought of God as his God, even though he didn't always obey God. But whenever he would refer to Samuel, he would still say, your God. Uh, I was going to say David, but I'm not sure about that one. Um, but there are there are people, kings in, in particular, would often say the Lord Your God when talking to a prophet or a priest. Um, and I think that part of that is it's a it's a method of uh, of respect. You are closer to God than I am, so it's it's your God, uh, feel free to correct me when I go off on things like this, but that's my understanding is that doesn't inherently mean uh, that she only sees it as his God because she says your God, but then she swears by him. If it's not your God, you're not going to swear by a God that's not your God. But it is an interesting point to consider. I don't want to say that it's it's completely out of the question. Um, it definitely... Is within the question. Yes. Sir. Okay. I know, now I see. Okay. Because at the end, then she's like, now I
1: know you're a man of God the of the words in your mouth is true after she raises it, not while they're reading
0: Right. Right. And that's an excellent point. So it is sort of you kind of waffle back and forth as you read the narration. I do think there is a more solid answer to this question. It's in another passage that we're going to get to toward the end. Um, But I I think we'll have a better answer there. But just in this passage right here, it's not entirely clear to us. I'll give you a hint. Jesus talks about this, and so we're going to get to what Jesus has to say about this at a later time. But for the time being, let's make the assumption that she is a Gentile, I think We'll get there. I think Jesus is referencing that. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get there here in a minute. Um, so by all accounts, he's helping someone who is... Let's say she is an Israelite. She's not living in the land of Israel. That's not exactly the place you want to be. Being an Israelite is outside of Israel. And let's at the very least say this woman is not perhaps who you would expect... Would either want to help a prophet, be able to help a prophet, that a prophet would really be focused on? Once again, God is thinking outside of the realm of our thought, and He's very good at that. So, what did God claim about this widow? What? Oh, yes, ma'am.
1: Yes, ma'am. Let's. Okay, go back. Yes, ma'am. Have left.
0: that's true yes ma'am she, she that is true and that is a that is an entirely good point and, and naomi and elimelech were uh examples of that that there are israelites who have uh who have left in times of great distress uh, uh joseph and mary do that they leave and go to egypt to take jesus with them um so an excellent point thank you for bringing that up um but, uh, okay, so let's, let's uh, return to the question. What did God claim about this widow? Okay, uh, with, both of you said it. Um, he commanded her. So this is someone who is apparently doing the will of God. Whether she knows or not, I guess we're, we're not entirely sure at this point in time. But God says, she's mine. I commanded her to help you. But that's going to be interesting in what we read here in a minute. Okay. Um, all right. Verse 10. He arose and went to Zarephath when he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She said, as Yahweh your God lives, I have no bread Only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. So how destitute is this woman? Incredibly. We're going to cook the last bit of food that we have so that we we can die. And I don't think she's being... Modest. I don't think she's being humble. I, I think this is what's really happening, and it makes sense. It's been a drought for three years. Oh, we don't obviously not. We don't know exactly how long um, that this has been, but a drought for any amount of time at at this time of history is devastating for more than. Well, if it's three days, it's probably not a drought. But you know more than a month without rain is going to be extremely devastating. Well, and... Was also
1: a it's right,
0: and so unlike what Ruth got to do, Ruth gets to go out in the field and pick what's, uh, you know, left behind and perhaps some people are leaving stuff behind for her. It's a very plentiful crop. So she can take care of her widowed mother-in-law. This lady doesn't have that. And clearly her son is not old enough to be doing any work at all. But even if he was, what work is there to be done? There's a drought. So you don't have crops. You're not going to have very good flocks because they need crops as well. Not only do you, but they do as well. So what are you supposed to do? So again, a handful of flour, a little oil in the jar, and she's currently gathering sticks to make a fire and cook this into cakes. And she's incredibly destitute. I also have this question, does she know who Elijah is? Okay. Um, so perhaps she should know this is Elijah, understanding there's a commandment for her to fulfill. Because then
1: she says, um, as the Lord your God lives. Okay. So she knows he's man of this, of this God.
0: Okay. So. Okay. And you know, if it was other Israelites? Underutilized-
1: Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. so I will say I think there are some assumptions being made, but I think they're valid assumptions that they are reasonable to assume. Um, Does anybody disagree? And if you disagree, can you show me where in the scripture you disagree? okay yes yeah she's preparing the meal for her 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 deathbed right she's going to the electric chair and she gets a cake to share with her son um, and again I don't think she's being facetious here she based the
1: facts,
0: Right, and so I would say that's a point for what Mark is saying, yes. I was just going to add what
1: it says. That she yeah. kind of has a bit of a perverse fatalism about the whole thing. I mean, yeah. There is no other alternative
0: her. Right. And, and however much she understands is, is
1: that God is at
0: work here, um, that perhaps a, a fatalism makes a little bit of sense if you understand who God is and that he is... He is the God. He is the Almighty. and He has made this. So perhaps fatalism makes sense. Yes, sir. <laughs> and if I didn't know any better about God, it is sort of, I'll take your word, perverse. It is sort of perverse that God will get us down to this level and then say, okay, I guess I'll help you. Again, if I didn't know any better about God, it does sound a little... Perverse, right? Oh, huh, let me just whittle you down. The the point that God is doing, of course, is that He loves us and He knows where to turn the switch. Right? He knows when to to get the engine roaring. He's very good at that. And so, I, I perhaps this woman would not have been uh, able to be convinced about God and about Elijah until she's at. This lowest point. Dennis will come back to you, sir. I think the people
1: once said, and God's sometimes not showing back to that point like
0: you look up. Right, right. Uh, there's no no other direction than that. Yes, sir. You just said that the reason the Bible
1: can't see God is <laughs> to can over the world.
0: Right, right. Um, and, and sometimes even as we also sing, right? Sometimes it's when we close our eyes and bow our head is when we're actually seeing God. Um, when I kneel is when I am closer to God. Yes or no? Yeah,
1: so you, the only like only thing in verse twenty-four that like, I can see where she like has her doubts that this is the God. She mm-hmm. says, "Now I, now I know that you are a man of God." Right. So if, I mean, anything when it comes, she has her doubts that this is. Mm-hmm.
0: So yes, yeah. and, and that's that's what I wanted to bring up because I would say to your point. And I was, someone said earlier, I'm sorry, I forgot who said it, that she doesn't question after Elijah says, it's okay, go do what I'm asking and we'll see what happens. She goes and does it. She doesn't argue. And again, I would attribute that to her her giving nature and her selflessness. All right. So she goes and does it, which would indicate perhaps she knows a little bit more about who Elijah is. But she does say later, oh, now I know who you are. So... We're not entirely sure if she knows who Elijah is. You almost
1: never know if they see something.
0: Right. See right there. Oh, okay. Right, right. Um, So, uh, I, I have here. What can we infer about why she does this for Elijah? And then has God spoken to her? What can we infer about her going and doing this?
1: I would say it probably speaks to her character that maybe she was so low in her life that she was, in her mind, eye, like, out of options. So if, if somebody comes upon her and tells her to try something, well, what is there to lose She's in a state okay. of oldness. So she hasn't
0: done any left. So. Okay. So when she is at her lowest point, her character kicks in. I only have enough for me and my son. That's easy. That's an easy attitude to have. It's an easy avenue to take. No, she's at her lowest point and she says, okay. You have nothing and your response is okay. And Sean and I were talking right before this and he said, we, we, he mentioned the, the widow and her mite. It's, it's two mites, but in her mind, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I give it to God and to the temple instead of I need every cent I can to, you know, to last as long as I can. But she says, you know what? I I have to give this to God. So I think we can infer that this is her character. That even when she's at her lowest point, her selflessness is revealed. And it's, it's, uh, it's similar, I think, to Abraham. Abraham, each step closer to the mountain, is bringing him lower and lower and lower. He's building the altar. Isaac is asking him all these gut-wrenching questions. He finally lays him on the altar, and he raises the knife, and that's at his lowest point. He knows he has an idea about God. God can raise him from the dead, but that's his lowest point. I have to kill the son that God has given me. I waited all this time. I have waited over 100 years for a son. And now I have to kill him? Are are you kidding? But you know what? I'm going to trust God. When he's at his lowest point, he's trusting God. And this woman is no different. The situation might be slightly different, but the core principle isn't. What I find interesting, silence in the scriptures is always a slippery slope. Let's always remember that. The Holy Spirit doesn't mention anywhere here that she is aware that she's been commanded to do anything. I find that interesting. You must be the one. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to tell us that. But there are other passages where the Holy Spirit does. And I find it interesting that it's missing here. She, if we're going to take that train and ride it is doing this because it's her character, because it's what's right to do. And just like Abigail, it was right for Abigail to do that, to go and try to make peace. And so God was making peace through Abigail. Well, God is providing for Elijah through this woman. He says, I commanded her because he commanded everyone to behave like this. The Israelites weren't doing that. This woman is. Okay. 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 Uh,
1: I think it's very To me, it's pretty. Okay. It's um, very direct. Okay. No, she never said She never gave yep. an indication. Sure. But even the Israelites, when they were shown here, were still having their doubts about stuff after seeing the 10 plays in They were going to die here from uh-huh. the Red Sea. And so I think she still has the doubts. But we turn to the Israelites, she was still willing to go the extra time and say, oh, okay.
0: And thank you for speaking up and saying it because what I what I love is one we can get to, we get to do that in this kind of setting. But what I also love about that is even though you disagree with me, we came to the same conclusion, right? That ultimately whether she knows or not, she is behaving differently than the rest of the Israelites. She is behaving in a way that the Israelites were either the Israelites or the rest of the Israelites, whether she's a gentile or not. The way they should have been behaving, she is doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. <laughs> and his wife, <laughs> their their cohorts in this, of course, they are trying to kill him. And so clearly, the leadership has totally given up on God. So. Hey, this this
1: whole question of whether. She was actually commanded by God. Mm-hmm. We're not given that verbal right. confirmation because, at, and this goes to the point that you made at the very beginning: this is narrative, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's narrative. Unlike reading a novel where you're jumping mm-hmm. from scene to scene or something, or People right. get a different perspective from a different character. We're only getting this from Elijah's standpoint, right. from his point of view. Yes. At excellent point. You know, we don't. Just to kind of go back to verse 4 real quick. Yes. Hey, God says, I have commanded the ravens. to right? We don't ask, well,
0: did God actually command the ravens? <laughs> we don't ask that question. Fair but point, fair point. I think we understand that God did issue some kind of decree sure. in a, a great point, a great point. Um, all right. She and, it says she and he and her household. I find it interesting when she's talking to Elijah... She says, I and my son are going to eat and we may die. Here, there are more people mentioned. It says her household. That's a community word. Um, So she only had enough for her and her household, or for her and her son. She has a household to provide for. We'll also talk a minute. She she has an upper room for him, um, and there's indication of what that means. But she does this anyway. She gives to Elijah. But then, of course, the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to Yahweh. According to what Yahweh said through Elijah. So, of course, she gives, and then what? God tells her it's going to be okay. I have provided you think that if God's commanding a widow to provide, that she should have means of providing. But she doesn't. And so God says, don't worry, I've I've got it. Don't worry about it. But that's not where this story ends. It came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. His sickness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. He died. She said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. I totally understand. I think so often we want to look at these people and say, how dare you lose your faith? Look at the miracle that you have just seen. That's not fair. She has just lost her. After seeing such a thing, now this man comes and stays with her and he's enjoying the the fruit of God's providence with her and then her son dies. I mean, getting you to your lowest point and then saying, okay, here you go, and then smashing her back into the ground. It's fair for her to be angry and upset. But God is going to help. Even though she's not asking for help at this point, God is going to help her anyway. Give me your son. He took him from her bosom, carried him up to the upper room where he was living, and laid him on his own bed. He called to Yahweh and said, "Oh Yahweh, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die? Really? You brought me here for this? After everything that's going on in Israel, this is what you wanted? But notice, then he stretched himself. He doesn't ask, what am I supposed to do? What are you trying to teach? What's the message here? He stretches himself upon the child three times, called to Yahweh, and said, Yahweh, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. And that's exactly what happened. Was raised from the dead. God is always teaching lessons.
1: Well, clearly, clearly
0: uh, the River Jordan seven times for yeah, naming. Right.
1: Seven times.
0: right. It, it's it's obedience. It, it's it's proof of faith.
1: Right. Sure. No one will hold. He said no one will hold. Right. But we you go to the bottom part where it says, uh, I will not hold the prayer of man that comes to me in times. If it will annoy me, I'll take yeah. you to the line.
0: Perseverance. Perseverance. Yes, sir. I mean,
1: that, that's pretty bold for a life to go to God. I pretty much say, I, I thought you were a passionate father. You're doing the opposite.
0: And here's the great thing: is God listens, God answers his prayer, despite what seems like such an irreverent thing to say. Again, I don't think Elijah's actually being irreverent, I think he's speaking out of his own pain. And, and the New Testament or the, the Old Testament authors do this all the time. Really? Job, you've done this to me? After everything that I've done for you. I just to hear it. It takes 40 chapters for God to say, okay, enough's enough. Enough is enough. You're going to listen, right, when it comes to Job. Here, he says, I'm hearing you. You're not listening to me. That's, that's what's going on here. You're not listening to me. But don't worry, I'm listening to you, and he does this. Yes? I think Elijah is
1: doing this until soul in terms of I think that, you know, sin gets behind. keep on doing
0: it Yeah. And, and, and again that perseverance, right? I keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And God says, "Okay. All right.
1: All right you're good." Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: I was just—I was just. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with someone, not not here, but elsewhere, uh, just the other day, and they said, "Well, it doesn't seem to me like the God in the Bible is a very loving God," and when you look at what's happening, it's very easy to take that, you know, right there. God doesn't seem like a very loving God. God is watching. God is understanding. God is sitting right there. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's providing to those he needs to be providing for. I don't want to run out of time. If you'll turn to Luke 4 very quickly. Yes,
1: sir.
0: turn to Luke 4 and I'll take more time.
1: He said, ask him three times, you love me the here?" Mm-hmm.
0: He asked yes, that three times, yeah. and he also has to deny three times. Three is a very three is a pattern, right? Two is a coincidence. Three is a pattern. Um, he he comes alive after two times that you know, but three we see that. I want as they're getting ready to come in here. Verse twenty-five, Luke chapter four. Verse 24, he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months. when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Sounds to me what Jesus is referring to there. She's not an Israelite. There are many widows in Israel he doesn't go to an Israelite. He goes to someone else. There are many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was cleansed. only Naaman the Syrian. See, this woman in her selflessness proved that there was righteousness outside of the people of God. God was aware and God was providing for those people. Even if they weren't Israelite,
1: God knew and provided for them as well. Yeah.